Support comes from Empower Missouri, providing in-person and virtual training to become an advocate for Missourians living in poverty. Registration for Empower Missouri's March 27th Advocacy Day is at empowermissouri.org WOA. State Representative Michael Burton first came into the public eye at, of all places, St. Louis County Council meetings. But now the Democrat from Lakeshire has made his niche in the Missouri legislature talking about transportation issues and speaking out against a number of Republican priorities. Burton joins us on the latest episode of Politically Speaking to talk about his impressions of the 2023 legislative session and what he expects in 2024. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. My promise to St. Louis was that I would do the absolute most for each and every person, starting with those who have the very least. What I wanted to do was look and see what other states are doing. We have to be willing to change those laws, that they are balanced and they affect everybody equally. As somebody that grew up in the St. Louis area, North St. Louis County, I didn't know any lawyers growing up. We gotta find long-term solutions to make government better, but also to be able to provide services to people. I don't wanna leave that federal money that we've been leaving all these years on the table. We need to be spending this money to take care of Missourians. I thought we accomplished a lot this year, but a lot more needs to be done. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent, Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me in Jefferson City, she covers all things state politics and state government for St. Louis Public Radio. Sarah Kellogg. And joining us in studio, he is a state representative, the only state representative I've ever seen from Lakeshire, Missouri, which, which is in South St. Louis County. Our, our special guest today is... Michael Burton. Now, before we get into your life story and your unusual trajectory into politics, can you just give our listeners a sense of what the boundaries of your district is? Sure. So it goes all the way from Afton and uh, all the way down uh, Grantwood Village, Concord, and uh, the city of Lakeshire. And it's, it's the 92nd district, correct? That's right. Wanted to make sure, I just pulled it up, and sometimes I don't get all the numbers right, but I wanted to make sure that you didn't get a different number during redistricting or anything like nope. that. Nope, still in District 92. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What did you do before you entered the wacky world of Missouri politics? <laughs> well, I, I grew up uh, uh, being a, a theater actor, and uh, for a while after I um, graduated high school, I was a professional actor. I uh, lived in New York City and um, uh, did a Broadway show out there, came back to St. Louis and taught for a nonprofit organization for COCA out of University City for about six years in, in St. Louis City, uh, helping kids out there, and went out to California for a little bit and did a little more acting work, and um, then I became an activist. Let's talk about your activism. So I told you before the show that I have had the honor or dishonor of covering St. Louis County Council on and off since 2011, which I was thinking about before the show. That makes me the most senior person in the entire world that is currently covering St. Louis County Council, which I think is really sad on a lot of levels. But I remember you very vividly coming to public forum 
for months and maybe even several years, maybe. Uh, trying, to total of 18 months. So almost several years. Trying to save the Tower T golf course. Can you talk a little bit about why you were so passionate about saving Tower T? Sure. So I, I grew up in Afton. I was born and raised in Afton. And Tower T was right down the street from uh, where I grew up. I grew up going there with, uh, with my dad, hitting golf balls at the driving range like a lot of folks did. And when I heard that they wanted to tear it down and put 158 houses there, um, I just thought that was an absolutely terrible idea. Um, it's a historic driving range golf course. It's the character of the community in Afton. And um, I just basically said that uh, they're going to have to work really hard if they want to build houses there. So I just uh, started to fight for it and uh, started to get folks together and um, started to go to county council meetings, which I'm, I guess you saw me there. And uh, that's kind of how it started. It, it was actually successful. Tower T still exists, right? That's right. And there seems to be a compromise where there was still housing development and a golf mecca in South St. Louis County. So, right. so it does seem like your activism legitimately made a difference. Yes. Yeah. Yep. It sure it sure did. And it really wasn't just my activism, but it was the the community. And really all it took was myself spearheading the effort, going door to door and um, putting little sheets of paper on people's door to let them know to go, to go to the county council meetings. And the community just we never let up. So one of the things that you have mentioned several times to me, which makes me uh, and I'm sure Sarah after I tell her this, will we'll make our egos swell with delight, is that this very podcast, politically speaking, seems to have inspired you to run for office. Yes, that you, is true. Can you talk a little bit about how the definitive show about Missouri politics inspired <laughs> you to get into electoral politics? Uh, that, that, that is actually true. I remember I, at the time I was living in California and I was doing research on, uh, at the time, council, Councilman Pat Dolan, who was our county council member, that I was hoping would stop the rezoning for Tower T., and I wasn't really getting uh, what I wanted out of him. And um, so I started to do research and I found this interview of politically speaking of you doing an interview with uh, Pat Dolan. And I remember I was at my apartment in um, California and just listening to it. And I remember thinking, I can do better than that guy. He, he to me, and I'm sure he's a nice gentleman, but he, he, he is a very nice and nice person and he lives in Richmond Heights and I have a lot of respect for him. I want to make clear that sure. I, I've always liked him and I like, you know, I sure. I like Councilwoman Clancy as well. But yeah. continue. Sure. No. Uh, very nice gentleman, but really wasn't giving us uh, what we were what we were asking for, even though we were getting it from council uh, like Councilman Trachis. Uh, was giving us even more uh, positivity when we were trying to save Tower T. So, yes, I listened to uh, Politically Speaking with yourself and Pat Dolan, and I just was like, you know what? I think I might run for office. I, I, I literally will never forget being in my apartment in California and this kind of, you know, light went off in my head and uh, decided to get into politics. Your district has always been somewhat Democratic-leaning, but it's gotten more competitive in recent years. Mm -hmm. What do you think allowed Republicans to gain headway? Well, I think the, the, the state in general we've seen over the past 20 years, uh, Republicans have been um, uh, gaining 
uh, uh, gaining on the state. And, I, you know, back in the day, people used to look at Missouri as basically a swing state, and it's really not like that. So um, District 92 has basically just followed what other parts of the state um, have done. So my district is pretty much 50-50. Um, uh, my district voted for um, uh, Donald Trump uh, both times, but um, they also voted for me. Um, so I, I think that District 92 is just awesome because we have this incredible amount of diversity. You know, it's, it, it doesn't lean one way or the other. This was your uh, third legislative session this past session. What were your impressions and what was different about this session compared to the other ones you've experienced? Well, this year was kind of interesting because when the governor did his state of the state address, which he does to all of the House members and the Senate, we all come in to the chambers and we listen to what the governor uh, lays out in front of us and what his goals are, what he wants to achieve. The the Democrats were actually standing up and clapping more than even the Republicans. And that was kind of a shocking thing to me. And um, I, I was very grateful uh, for the governor for putting um, uh, maternal mortality rate um, at the top of his list and, and things like that. So this session, I think, is a little different because the governor's going to be termed out. And... Um, he is trying to do some some good things for the state. Now, you mentioned the the Democrats were very happy with the state of the state, and I think that the Democrats were also very happy with the budget. But I would imagine that there was probably less enthusiasm about Governor Mike Parson vetoing roughly $555 million worth of, of items from the 2024 fiscal year budget. What did you think of the governor's move? Uh, I disagree with so many of his vetoes. I, um, I, I, the reality is, is that the state of Missouri has the funds and, um, you know, we have $8.7 billion just sitting in the bank right now, which is the most that the state of Missouri has ever had. And, you know, when you look at the things that he vetoed, when we're talking about Great Rivers Greenway, when we're talking about uh, nursing centers at St. Louis Community College when we're talking about, you know, mental health care for students and paying um, highway workers and um, and highway patrol. And he's vetoing things like that. And, um, you know, one million dollars for early childhood education. It's 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 very disappointing. Parsons said he wanted to preserve the fiscal health of the state long term, especially with the tax cuts that were passed during session. What do you make of that reasoning? I do not think it's a valid reason whatsoever. Um, once again, this is the most that the state of Missouri has ever sat on, $8.7 billion when we are, you know, 50th in the country at paying our state employees, uh, when we're 48th in the country at funding our roads and bridges. We have, we have all kinds of ways that we could actually be um, spending this money and making investments to improve the state and improve the quality of, of lives of Missourians. So um, I, I think he just went um, a, little, a little too far with, you know, $555 million in, in vetoes. I, I was looking this up before I got here. In 2021, he vetoed uh, 51 line items, 2022, 32 line items, and this year, or in 2023, 
179 line items. So he took quite a bit out of uh, out, out of um, what the legislators had passed. And, and the reality is, is that the governor is not there to decide how much things should be spent on, on different programs. He's there to see if it's um, constitutional or not. And it's not his job to look and say, okay, well, we want to shave a little bit off this and we want to take a little bit off that. That's really not um, what he should be looking at. There have been some defenders of Parson who say that many of the vetoes involve very local projects that could be paid for with county or municipal funds. I'd like to know what you think about that argument, too. Sure. So we heard a lot from uh, the reasons for a lot of his vetoes is, well, we're, we're just going to push it on to the, the local governments. And that's an easy thing to do. But the reality is the, the local governments don't have the uh, they don't have large budgets. They don't have a large surplus. So when you're looking at a state that has $8.7 billion in, a, in, in their budget surplus and um, not using it, I think it's, um, it's you know, not really fair to those local governments to just kind of push it off on them and expect them uh, to get things done when uh, the state could be doing much more. So Parsons' vetoes actually aren't quite set in stone just yet. And um, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. But how realistic do you think it, it is that lawmakers will override Parsons' vetoes when veto session rolls around? Well, there's there's so many vetoes that he did. So it's going to be interesting to see exactly what we can do. Um, I'm sure that our leadership is working with him as well as the Republican leadership is working with him and finding out you know, what are the things that are his priorities and, and what he is willing to work on us with. Um, but um, I, I, there's, there's so many things that, um, and, and it's really up to him to decide how long we're going to be in veto session. So it, it's going to be very interesting. We, we are, I'm waiting on pins and needles <laughs> to see what's what's going to happen with this veto session. You know, and there's a little bit of a different, you know, there's different leadership. So I know I think it was two years ago, at least at the House, over voted to overturn a veto, but then it died in the Senate due to Senate tradition uh, that has caused, uh, I called it a kerfuffle on last uh, podcast. I think I'm going to keep <laughs> calling it a kerfuffle about who can bring up vetoes. Well, now there's a new appropriations chair with Senator Hupp. Are you all really just curious to see kind of how it goes under a new budget chair, considering that's probably going to be a lot of the focus of the vetoes? Uh, yes. And I, I more have more experience with uh, Representative Cody Smith, who is the chair of the budget committee. And I know he has a lot to say in, in this as well. Yes. And we actually had him on the podcast and you can listen to that show for him to talk extensively about that issue. Oh, I'd love to. I have not heard that episode yet. <laughs> so one of the committees that you serve on is called the Transportation Accountability Committee. What is the Transportation Accountability Committee of the Missouri House? <laughs> uh, well, it's a brand new committee that the Speaker of the House, uh, Representative Dean Plocker, uh, created this year. I was excited to be on it because I have quite a few problems with um, the Missouri Department of Transportation, especially regarding to um, the death of one of of two of two of their employees, uh, James Brooks and Caitlin Anderson, and I've worked with their families extensively, um, and how they didn't have supervisors doing training. So, I started to uh, really look into the Missouri Department of Transportation, which is why I was put on this Transportation Accountability Committee, 
It turned out that uh, that committee <laughs> was not quite what I thought it was going to be. And a lot of it came down to taking power away from the Missouri Department of Transportation, taking away funding from the Missouri Department of Transportation, and having all those uh, decisions on what they're going to fix, what they're going to work on next, put in the hands of lawmakers and not the engineers at the department. And um, I don't think that is a good idea. I think that uh, we should leave those decisions up to the professionals. Yeah, and for our listeners to give a little bit of context, Missouri has what's known as, I think it's the Missouri Highways and Transportation Commission, and it's a gubernatorial board that oversees MoDOT. Um, and really, they have a lot of the power over approving like project plans and not necessarily the legislature. It's not like Congress where they go line by line and say, let's spend X number of dollars of a highway through Maryville or something like that. Um, so I can understand that there are probably pluses and minuses to both systems. Like the plus side is that you probably do depend more on MoDOT staff and engineers on priorities under the current system. But I could also understand from a legislative perspective that there's not much like elected accountability in that, given that it's a appointed board that's making a lot of these decisions. Yeah, it's its its, its own entity. Uh, they have their own constitution, their own commission, their own commissioner. And so we have a limited amount of what we can do as legislators. Um, we do have oversight on them and we do fund them in, in the budget. But I think the way that it is set up is the correct way or else what you get, you end up getting, you know, a bunch of elected officials going, you know, I want this done in my uh, district and, and this representative wants this done in their district district and everybody's just fighting over different projects in their district. And because, you know, the Missouri Department of Transportation is we're 48th in the country at funding our transportation department, they are highly, highly underfunded. Um, which is something that I'm trying to change, um, that it, it would just be a terrible idea to have elected officials all fighting over the funds to fix different things in their districts. So this, this measure did not go through your committee, but I do think this affects ordinary people, so I want to talk about it a little bit. Sure. So Missouri uh, will soon have a, a, a sort of ban on texting while driving. I say it's a sort of ban because... It's not like a police officer can pull somebody over if they see somebody texting. But if somebody runs a stop sign and runs into a tree and the officer saw that they were texting, that person could get fined or, or cited for that. And I actually have a clip from your South County colleague, Representative Jim Murphy of, of South St. Louis County, who, who thought that this was a good idea. We've had some, so many tragedies with, with deaths where people are just distracted, they're not looking on the road, and they're you know just uh, killing people. And, and it's something we, we as a state are, are the 49th state to do this. Uh, it was time. So beyond what you think of this bill, I guess my question is, do you think that the way that the legislation is structured will allow law enforcement to enforce this type of thing effectively? Um, no, no, I don't. Um, to be quite honest, I think that um, that if a law, enforce, law enforcement officer sees somebody with a device in their hands, they should be able to pull them over. So I think it needs to, to go a little further. 
Um, like I said, I, I lived in California for a while. In California, you don't touch your phone. That's just the way that it is. When I moved back to uh, St. Louis around 2018 and I started to see people driving with phones in their hands, it, it was just the strangest thing to me. So um, I, I think that the, the legislation has to be strengthened. Another thing that was in that bill, which is also getting a lot of attention, is that it basically sets in motion for sales taxes on cars to be collected at the dealership rather than a fee office. Now, this isn't going to happen right away. From reading some articles, the state needs to get a, a computer system up and running that would allow dealerships to actually do this. But I could see a lot of advantages to this, like sure. having bought cars before, um, just bringing in two or $3,000 to the DMV can be very challenging for somebody with means. And I imagine somebody who is working class or low income that needs a car just can't do that. So they just drive around with expired plates. That's that's correct. And we see quite quite a few expired plates and temp tags on cars. I know I have a lot of constituents that have a problem with it because they are paying their, their taxes and, and they are getting their tags updated. And so I think this is a move in the right direction. I think I think it was great legislation to kind of cut cut that out where you don't have to go to the DMV. You can just get it all done right there when you're purchasing your car. We'll be right back after this quick break with State Representative Michael Burton. If you have a smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio. And we're back on Politically Speaking with State Representative Michael Burton. He is a Democrat from Lakeshire which is an incorporated community in St. Louis County, correct? That's true. Yeah, that one of the few incorporated places in South St. Louis County. All my uh, municipal incorporation nerds that listen to this show will be very happy that I'm talking about that. And you know there's like thousands of people who do that. So I, I want to play a clip from our, the last guest who was on this show, Representative Ashley Ani. Mm. And Sarah asked her, did she expect the legislature to get a lot done in 2024, given that it's an election year. And needless to say, the Platte County Democrat is not optimistic. <laughs> it's going to be wild. It really will. Um, you know, everyone's going to try to out conservative one another um, for their primaries. And um, I think that that is going to cause a lot of uh, social issues to rise to the top of the conversation um, and n not talk about the serious policy um and the serious issues that will actually help Missourians. Do you share Ani's pessimism? Uh, I, I share some of that uh, pessimism, but we, we've already seen that. We've already seen um, folks trying to out conservative one another. And, uh, you know, we've seen such a focus since I've been in the legislature on these culture war issues. And, and it gets frustrating because, you know, I have all kinds of legislation that I want to get passed. Uh, good, good legislation. I think that'll help, you know, folks in Missouri. And we spend just so much time on these culture war issues. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of uh, my colleagues on the other side of the aisle are focused on, uh, likely because uh, they want to get reelected. So I might not be quite as pessimistic as um, uh, Representative Ani, whom uh, I, I adore. Uh, her office is right next to mine. We kind of came in this together. And uh, 
but uh, she's definitely on to something. It's it's definitely going to be a very uh, interesting uh, session next year. What are some big issues that you expect to come back for debate in 2024? Well, I think the biggest one is going to be the initiative petition process. And, and, and that one is just so important. I hope that people realize that. And, you know, the initiative petition process is there to give a voice to the people. And, you know, the whole process honestly brings me back to Tower T. Um, when we used a protest petition and gathered signatures, so the county council needed, you know, um, uh, five votes as opposed to four to change the rezoning. And so the initiative petition process, and, and if you go back and, and if you search this, um, uh, at the time, Governor um, John Ashcroft actually vetoed um, changing the initiative petition process. Now, this is when Democrats uh, were in the majority. Um, but he spelled out all the reasons why we need this process. And it's really for um, for the public to have a voice. So when their elected officials are not doing what they believe is the right thing to do, they can do those things. Um, you know, you look at right to work, you look at um, legalizing cannabis, you look at uh, ending puppy mills. There are quite a few things that, you know, expanding Medicaid was a huge one. And, um, you know, the folks get out there, they collect the signatures and they get it on the ballot and they let the people vote for it. And I cannot for the life of me understand why they are trying to change that to make it more difficult for people to do that. Um, I, I, th I think right now they're doing it because they're worried that we are going to get um, – a women's right to choose on the ballot, and they likely know, well, we all know that folks in Missouri, uh, they want that. And so they're concerned that it's going to be put on the ballot and the people in Missouri are going to vote in favor of it. Speaking on that a little bit, House Speaker Dean Plocker has said that without raising the threshold to amend Missouri's constitution, abortion will become legal again in Missouri. What do you think of Plocker linking, you know, legalizing abortion and the IP process? Well, I think that he's making a big mistake. Like I said, the initiative petition process is there for the people to have a voice. Uh, when the elected officials are not doing what the people want them to do, that's when the initiative petition process comes in. So to change the threshold, to take the power away from the people, I think is undemocratic. I think that it's un-American. I think it's bad for the state. And I think that uh, the Speaker of the House, Speaker Plocker, is making um, a bad decision on on linking those two things together and doing it. You know, efforts to make the Constitution harder to amend in other states, you know, failed. It failed in Arkansas. And now, you know, there's going to be a vote in Ohio. So do you think that Missouri Republicans may abandon their push for making the Missouri Constitution more difficult to amend if Ohio voters soundly reject this measure next month, raising that threshold to 60 percent instead of a simple majority? No, no, I don't. I think they're going to keep going for it. I think they're going to keep going for the initiative petition process. I've actually quoted like I said, former Governor John Ashcroft, every year since I got in the state legislature um, speaking about this issue. So they've tried it all three years since I've been there, and I think they're going to continue to do it. One of the other big issues that occurred this year was that there were bills curbing transgender minors from accessing gender-affirming care and also barring transgender athletes from participating in high school and college sports that align with their gender identity. 
So those passed, they're signed into law. The gender affirming care ban is actually being litigated as we speak. Do you expect any more legislation around transgender rights to come up in 2024? I do. I, I'm not exactly sure what they're going to be, but I, I, I do expect them to bring more legislation, at least file more legislation, um, you know, uh, attacking LGBTQ rights. It's something that gets them elected, and I think we are going to see more of it. I've talked to a number of transgender Missourians, and they believe that what is next is restrictions on getting hormone therapy or gender transition surgery for adults. Even though a lot of Republicans say that they're not interested in doing that, do you believe that there will be a major push to enact something similar to what Attorney General Andrew Bailey put forward? I want to say no, and I think that would be absolutely absurd. And I think, you know, from the party that talks about freedoms and liberties, you know, um, my goodness, you know, we can have the conversation about um, puberty blockers and ho- hormone therapy for children, and I think it's a very valid conversation to have. And, um, and and I understand some of those points and concerns. But when you're talking about grown adults doing what they want to do, my goodness, if they if they came after that, um, there's going to be a really big problem. So let's shift to elections. Sure. Um, right now. There is a crowded Democratic primary to take on U.S. Senator Josh Hawley. Yes. There's Lucas Kuntz, who ran in 2022. There's St. Louis County Prosecutor Wesley Bell. And now there's State Senator Carla May of the 4th District, who happens to be my state senator. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing for your party that there are multiple people running for this post? Um. I think it will be an okay thing as long as a couple of them drop out on time and uh, support one candidate. I think it's really important that we don't um, kind of uh, spread all of the support out, spread all of the funds. You know, we already don't – it's already tough to to raise money for a campaign, especially against somebody who's taking special interest money like Josh Hawley. I think that Lucas Kuntz has, has done a really great job. I think he did a great job last year. Um, I, I hope to see him get there, and I think he would have the best chance at taking on Josh Hawley. And I think it's important that we have a strong candidate to, um, to replace Josh Hawley. So I just want to make it clear, you're a Lucas Kuntz fan, and you are basically have endorsed him, essentially. Uh, I did just now. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, breaking news on this podcast. You know, I, I guess got to be I, – I, I got to just be very candid here from talking with a lot of Democrats. Like there are clearly people that really, really like Lucas Kuntz. He is a dynamic campaigner, even though he lost in 2022. I think he ran a hell of a campaign and he is a great fundraiser. But the fact that there continues to be opponents to him really signals to me that there is elements of the Missouri Democratic Party that do not like him, do not want to see him succeed and would rather have somebody else. Like what, what do you think about that reality? Well, I think that it's not so much that they disagree with him or don't think that he's a great candidate. I think that they're maybe trying to, um, uh, you know, when when you're a public servant and when you're running for office, uh, there are quite a few folks that are doing it for the right reason, and they might think that they have a better message or have a better chance than Lucas Coons. I just disagree with them. Um, 
but I, 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 I think that most people would even say that, that support some of those other candidates, that Lucas Kuntz is a, a great candidate that's going to run a great campaign and likely has the best chance at, at beating Josh Hawley. Do you think that Democrats can unseat Josh Hawley? And, and, and kind of as a, as a sub-question to that, do you think that the Democrats can piece together the necessary geographic coalition in rural Missouri, suburban Missouri, and urban Missouri required to win statewide elections? Absolutely. Yeah, can Abs- you, can ab- explain why, first of all. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I think, I think with, uh, you know, I think with Crystal Quaid, uh, House Floor Minority Leader Crystal Quaid running for uh, uh, the governorship to be the governor, which I am so excited about. Um, I think she's going to get a lot of people out and a lot of people energized to come out and vote. Um, I think wanting to get Josh Hawley out of office and replace him with somebody that's going to represent Missouri more like Lucas Kuntz is going to do a lot to get folks out. I think if we're able to collect enough signatures to get uh, a woman's right to choose on the ballot, that's going to get a lot of folks out to vote. And um, I, I'm, I'm pretty hopeful. I'm, I'm quite hopeful. Um, I think that Crystal Quaid could shock the state, and I think it would shock the nation. And um, I, I think she has it in her to do it. How do you think she squares up against GOP contenders for that post? Well, I think that the people in Missouri are ready for, for a change. I think if you look at where where we stand on so many different things and and what has been happening in the past few years, you know, just we keep cutting taxes for the for the wealthiest Missourians. Um, we keep doing things that, you know, are coming from special interest. Meanwhile, I have senior citizens in my district where their property taxes are going up and up and they keep getting raised and you know, at the same time, we have the wealthiest Missourians and their taxes are going uh, down and down and down. And I think that um, Missourians are starting to see that uh, the state is um, too extreme and they want balance. And I think I think that that Crystal, you know, she's my leader. I've uh, I've worked with her. I did not know her before I got this job. Um, she truly cares about these issues and she she wants to see a change and um she's she's extremely i i can't tell you the job that i have is difficult right especially being a democrat in the state of missouri i can't imagine what it's like having her job being the house floor minority leader um but i've seen her work um and i've seen her listen and um i have a lot of respect for her do you believe that Representative Quaid may have trouble gaining traction if Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe is the nominee? I think that he would be um, uh, more of a difficult candidate to run against than Jay Ashcroft. Um, I've spoken with both of them. Um, so I, I think that, you know, she would have a little tougher time. But like I said, I think the people of Missouri are fed up. They want to see something change. And, and you also have to keep in mind, just 20 years ago, Democrats were in power. So there's a lot of Democrats out there in the state of Missouri. I just think that they're a little disenfranchised. They, a lot of them have just kind of thrown their hands up in the air and go, oh, well, I'm in Missouri and I just have to deal with it. And um, a lot of those folks are starting to come back out and help campaigns. You mentioned Ashcroft. There has been some insinuation that the Secretary of State, Jay Ashcroft, is the weakest candidate for Quaid. Do you believe 
that and does the fact that he's won statewide races by landslides temper that view at all? Um, I do believe that. And um, I think the fact that he's won uh, statewide races by landslides uh, doesn't really say too much. You know, he, he's got the name recognition, you know, which helps him. But um, I just know as far as who would be the best person for the state, um, it would definitely be Crystal Quaid. And I think she, she could absolutely take on both of them. Or possibly Senator Bill Eigel, who apparently is very close to ending his exploratory committee and actually being a, a gubernatorial candidate, by the way. Yeah, I've heard a little bit about that. And um, uh, bring it on. Well, thank you so much for coming to the show that inspired a major uh, shift in your <laughs> entire life. We're honored to have you and we'll have you back in, in the years to come. Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Um, you can read all of our stories at stlpr.org. Representative, where on the internet can people find you if you want to be found, either <laughs> sure. on social media or otherwise? Sure. You can go to burtonformo.com or you can go to uh, uh, Michael Burton for District 92 on Facebook. Okay, very good. We'll be back next time. Until then, so long. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio's The Gateway gives you the day's news first thing every weekday morning. From the ever-evolving relationship between St. Louis City and County to developments in the Missouri and Illinois state capitals and reports from our correspondents in Rolla and the Metro East, we put it all in a roughly 10-minute package with clarity and context. Download The Gateway wherever you get podcasts.